Superior and originally from Hagen, um, just down the road, but a bustling metropolis compared to Radisson. Um, <laughs> so that's, my, my small town is bigger than your small town, and so um, just pointing that out. Um, <clears throat> in case you forgot since last week. Uh, so this is, this is a good time for us to stop and reflect upon the gospel. This is one of the most common passages of scripture that we all know, right? The Good Samaritan right next to the prodigal son is one of the most common passages from the gospel that we know and are familiar with. And so when we look at the gospel, we have to reflect on it first as what we might call a literal sense and a literal reading of the text. And then there's kind of a deeper reading that we can see in it as well. So what does the parable teach us practically if we plug ourselves into the parable? Well, we can read it and see that the people who are supposed to be good and holy in the parable are not the ones who act according to their perception in the culture at large. So what do we have? We have a priest, an Old Testament priest who's supposed to be a holy guy, who's supposed to know a lot about the law. And so he knew that what, what the, the law of charity was, mainly that he was supposed to love his neighbor as himself and to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He would have known that. But his own tradition, his own law, mainly that he couldn't touch a dead person's body, otherwise he would be ritually impure, came first. So he heeded that. He wasn't sure whether this guy was dead or alive. And so when he found him on the side of the road, out of, you know, kind of wondering, well, if I, if I do touch him, then I wouldn't be able to go into the temple. And, well, that would be kind of awkward because I'm the priest and I'm supposed to be there all the time. So how would I deal with that? So instead of even checking to see if he's alive, he just passes by on the other side. He lets his excuse get him out of the law of charity. And then after that, again, a a scholar of the law. So Jesus is kind of teasing the person who's asking him the question, Master, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? And so he puts him into the parable. And notice that Jesus doesn't kind of play on the scholar of the law's terms. He wants to know an answer right now. Come on, Jesus, give me an answer to my question. And Jesus doesn't answer in a way that says, this is how you are supposed to follow God. This is what you are supposed to do to eat inherit eternal life. Instead, he tells a parable. And what's a parable supposed to do for us? It's kind of supposed to stick in our craw, in our imagination. It's supposed to get us thinking and meditating and say, what what would it be like to be in this place? And so I think part of the beauty of this parable is the the great demand of charity that it teaches us first in a literal reading. We see in it the requirements of love are meant to be generous, not just sort of like, um, you know, uh, generous in a, in a sense that like, okay, I can give what, what I might want to receive in that, but even beyond what we would come to expect. And that's what this Samaritan person does. Now, interestingly enough, Jews hated Samaritans. So in the context that this is being told, um, this might be like, I don't know, Wisconsin's and Minnesotans. That's a little soft. But, but that, you know, like the Wisconsinites and the Minnesotans, that could be it. It could be like the, the um, Green Bay fans and Bear fans or something like that. But it's probably a little more like, um, you know, either being from the United States or being from Mexico or being, you know, 
being, uh, uh, you know, growing up in a predominantly white area and then trying to go to Chicago or to the Twin Cities and, and notice all of the, the influx of races that come in, right? You know, we have people from the Middle East, we have, we have African Americans, we have Africans who are coming from different countries and continents. And there's lots of ways that we can look at them with a sort of bias, so if you wanted to know what the Jews' bias about the Samaritans was, it was that they were disgusting. They had abandoned the nation of Israel, and they had gone and they had intermarried with this other race, and they left the God of Israel behind. So to them, to the good Jewish person, a Samaritan was a disgusting person. They, they couldn't be found to, to do anything good. And so Jesus uses that person as the image for today's gospel. He takes that person as the one who does the good deed, who goes beyond the beyond. They they meet this person dead on the road. They give them their own animal. It'd be like giving your car to somebody you'd never met before or taking all of the groceries that you had for a month and dropping those off because he opens up wine and oil. This isn't something that you just had handy on the side of the road, especially as you're going along on a donkey to a a city, right? This was probably his stock for the next couple of months. And he opens up wine and oil and pours it into his wounds. But then he just doesn't leave him like he found him. You know, he picks him up puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, pays for him to stay there, and if, you know, anything else, it's like writing a blank check for somebody you never met before. So we can see this sort of over-the-top nature of the love and the charity that's being shown here, which on that first reading is very beautiful, right? It is a way that we are supposed to reflect and say, what is the way that we see not just our neighbor, but people we don't even know? People we've never met before. Do we see the image of Jesus in them? Do we see that? Or do we ignore them? Do we make excuses? Do we say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I've got to check my Twitter account. I don't know. Um, I'm, you know, I got a text. I don't know. I'm looking on Facebook. My blue friend who tells me everything. You know, uh, that's, that's what could be distracting us from meeting the needs of the people around us. Now, on another reading of this, and I think a, a very important and even kind of deeper reading would be to put ourselves in the place of the man dead on the side of the road, left for dead. Because in our sin, brothers and sisters, we look at ourselves and we say, we can't do this on our own. Like left to our own efforts in the Christian life, maybe we've tried before, maybe we've tried to be good or we tried to be holy or we try to follow Jesus and it's tough and it's difficult. It's not straightforward, right? It's it's painful sometimes. And if left to our own efforts, We're going to fail, and we do fail. Not to say, like, well, Jesus looks down on us. No, he finds us. He comes to find us in the midst of our failure because Jesus is the good Samaritan. We hear this in the the other parts of the scriptures, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you can imagine, Jesus has a hunger to seek out and save those who are in most in need of his mercy, most in need of his love and his kindness. And so what the Good Samaritan does in this this scripture passage today, he is seeking and saving a lost person. That's the heart of Jesus for you. That's the heart of Jesus for every sinner. Especially when, when we most think, oh, you know, That's it. I've done myself in. I'm done moving on in the Christian life. There's no more growth for me. That's a lie. 
That's a lie from Satan. Because Satan doesn't want us to grow. He doesn't want us to be loved by Jesus. He doesn't want us to know his kindness and his mercy and the goodness of God. And that's why we're afraid of going to confession. Because we look at ourselves and we say, I'm too bad to get my stuff together. You're not too bad. Jesus went to the cross out of love for each of us. He's seeking and saving you now. That's what his action is in your life. And all you have to do is accept that. I mean, what what did the, the, the man on the side of the road have to do? He was half dead. I mean, maybe he said thank you at one point. Maybe he couldn't even speak. And so if we feel like we're beyond being saved by Jesus, then we've got a, a pride complex. We've got an issue with our own pride. It's not about God's love. It's not about his willingness or unwillingness to forgive you. That has already been presented to you. The only reason we don't grow in the Christian life is because we don't desire to grow. We don't ask Jesus for his mercy. The same one who seeks us out. So don't be afraid to come to Christ. Don't be afraid to let him change your life. Because that's the way that we do that, is by going to the sacrament of confession. That's where Jesus picks us up himself. And he doesn't just leave us where he found us. He actually moves us to a better place. The hardest part of going to confession is walking through the door. It's asking for it. It's saying, I want to do that. I want to go to confession. That's the hardest part. And once we do that, it opens a door for us to be able to let Jesus take us to a further place than we were before. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect all of a sudden. It doesn't mean you get like bleached white and then, wow, you're a saint for the rest of your life. No, if you have to go to confession now, you'll probably have to go to confession in two weeks or a month's time. But that's the slow growth of the Christian life. And Jesus will never just leave us dead on the side of the road where he found us. He pours grace into our hearts, oil and wine. He picks us up. He moves us to his own place. He gives us even a greater down payment of his love and his mercy for us. His goodness. And that's what we receive in the Holy Eucharist. That down payment of what is to come. He promises us that if we take his mercy, it will lead us to eternal life with him forever.